Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Nelson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters, Mark Lepresti, Managing Director of Mineta Advisory Partners, co-founder of Battlefin, leading data platform, and a former institutional equities trader at Lehman Brothers. Alex Massioli, founder of Trade the Chain, former head of institutional prime brokerage at Bquant. John Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, former co-host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and co-founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. Thanks very much for joining us. Oh, welcome. Welcome, Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain fans. How are you today? My name is Julie Lamb. It is Thursday, August 10th, 2023. And depending on where you are in the world right now, it's 5.30 p.m. Eastern time for me and for a number of our speakers here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode number 52. How exciting. We've welcomed to the stage our speakers here in the space, Mark Lepresti. We have uh, Nick from Trade the Chain. Uh, we have uh, Michael um, here uh, up on stage. I love Michael Weinberg. How are you doing today, Michael? And of course, our, uh, our, our main host of the evening, Get Rev Radio. We'd love to invite you to tweet out the space. I guess you can say now X out the space, right? I don't know if that sounds the same thing. Why don't you send out for the X spaces the opportunity to join us? Uh, you can uh, leave us a direct message, or if you'd like to send us uh, you know, a message through the portal here, if you have a question for our market masters, uh, welcome. Mark Lepresti, how are you doing this afternoon? And I'd like to know where you are in the world. Julie Lamb, it is always wonderful to hear your mellifluous voice. I am happy and proud to be in South Florida in Martin County. I get to on this location. I can't tell you precisely because mm. then we'll have paparazzi in the driveway yeah. and that gets me. It does. It, it, it does. It does. But uh, but I am very proud to be back in my second or third home, the beautiful state of Florida, where I will be until Monday. We may be celebrating a birthday for one of our, and I'm not going to say who, because he swore me to secrecy. But, uh, but yeah, that's where I'm at. You know, I get the honor today of actually introducing another speaker that we have here up on stage, Pete Nigerian. I, I don't think we've actually had the opportunity to share the stage at the same time. <laughs> Welcome, Pete. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Julie. It's great. You guys always do an excellent job, and I'm looking forward to it. And I love that Mark's back in Florida. Yeah, where he where he belongs. Florida is a great place for yeah. him, sunning and tanning and enjoying the markets right there. Mark, I know you have a lot to talk uh, uh, to our audience uh, today. Uh, you know, uh, we I know uh, we also have a sponsor in uh, for the show, Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain. I haven't had the opportunity to use them, but they are our sponsor, and you use them a lot. Well, you know, Julia, a, a lot of guilt there implied. I no, you have, been, you have been invited. Don't listen. You have been invited. I want the entire audience to know you have been invited. You are welcome to join on any flight that I'm on. But yes, our sponsor for today's August 10th, 2023 show is once again, Verajet. 
The only low-cost solution for short-haul private aviation, this is the company that flies the exceptional SF-50 Sirius Vision Jet that famously has the parachute for the plane, not for the passengers, for the entire plane, and the safe return autoland system in the event that something goes wrong or happens to your pilot, God forbid. And we are continuing our Verajet show sponsor sweepstakes, offering B3 Nation listeners the chance to win a ride absolutely free on a private plane. We're running this sweepstakes through the end of August, so you're running out of time to participate. But you'll see up in the crow's nest a link that you can click or smash, as my daughter tells me, you have to smash the link. Don't just click it. And share your worst travel nightmare to be eligible to participate in the sweepstakes. A couple of lucky winners will be drawn at the end of the month, and you'll be flying private, soaring through the clouds with us on an SF-50 Cirrus Vision Jet operated by our friends at Ferrajet. You know, I think, Mark, I don't think I am uh, able to actually participate in the sweepstakes, but I will tell you my worst travel story is the fact that I haven't been able to travel with you on Verajet because I've generally been back in Miami or someplace else uh, preparing the yacht for our private parties that we have for some of our <laughs> listeners here at Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain. So it's not such a bad deal, right? Um, and we did the Verajet owners on a couple of our private events and uh, we adore them. They are very generous uh, to give us the sweepstakes. Uh, you know, so today on the show, we have, of course, our TradFi market overview. If you've come to the show before, you do know that uh, this is something that's consistent. We will do uh, that with the Mark and Pete, and uh, then we'll do a crypto overview with Nick. So we've got a great show planned for us. I love it. So Mark here, you know, we have a few... Uh, since we have the overview right now that I've gone over, I also like to remind people that for Get Rev Radio, make sure you follow and share out the space. Uh, tune into Beyond B our B3, Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain, uh, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays at 530. So, Mark, how is the Dow Jones Industrial Average heading into the end of the week? Well, that's a great question, Julian. Thank you for teeing up so perfectly. I always give a little bit of a market wrap to start the show. The market's a little bit schizophrenic today, opening very positive. We are well off, or we closed, I should say, well off the day's highs. The Dow Jones edged higher, helped a little bit by some Disney earnings and a little bit of a rally with that CPI print that we had. And I don't want to uh, give away what we're going to cover in more detail later in the show but showing that inflation may be heading in the right direction. The blue chip average added 52 spot 79 points or 0.15 to finish at 35,176 spot 15. The S&P inched up very mildly 0.03 to 4,468 spot 83. The NASDAQ rose also to close the day very mildly spot 12 to close at 13,737 spot 99. And you know, it's important to point out that in the beginning of the day, we had a pretty strong rally. All three indexes climbed at least 1%, 1%, excuse me, on the session, with the Dow up as much as 450 points. Again, on that uh, CPI print, which I think was positive. We're going to dig into that in more detail a little bit later. And some positive news out of Disney. Mm, we, we like the positive news out of Disney. I think the positive news is our co-host, our host of the general Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain, Rob Nelson, is on vacation today, and I'm happy to fill in, Mark. Thank you so much for asking me to join 
Peter, I, I don't get a chance, Pete, to ever uh, welcome you to the stage. I feel like this is um, almost like inviting uh, someone to come up on stage, but you're already knighted. It's like knighting a king. Is that possible? Uh, well, I'm no king, but I appreciate that. It's great to be with you. And to Mark's point, uh, these markets have certainly been interesting, right? I mean, the, the kind of movement that we've had and the volatility within each and every day has been something I think that's uh, we hadn't seen this in a while. And and now we are starting to see this where, you know, in the last few weeks, we'd seen a lot of days that have gone either straight up or straight back. Uh, we are seeing a little bit more of that volatility even throughout the day this week. And obviously with a couple of, of rough starts to the week as well. So it's interesting for sure. Um, I think there's a lot of different parts of the market that are are definitely influencing things. And I would specifically even point out to everybody, one of the things that I've been talking about for a long time is the tenure. And, you know, to Mark's point with CPI, um, that was something very bullish and that was great. And the 10-year and the has been fluttering around over four for the majority of August so far. We've had a little bit of a dip back on that, but that's something that I think is has been my trigger for a while. It seems to me that the 10-year, once it's above four, there seems to be that hands-out selling of not everything, but certainly of, of stuff specifically NASDAQ-related, technology-related. That's been kind of the move that we've been seeing, and that's been playing out almost perfectly. Um, if you're looking at the 10-year, you're looking at the markets, and you're looking at the NASDAQ, it does connect very, very closely as far as people's willingness of where they want risk on and where they'd rather have risk off. And that's that's certainly been a play that we have seen very, very impressively this week. Well, Pete, what's going on with the big swings that we've been seeing in the NASDAQ? Mm. Well, you know, I think what we're seeing is there are some names out there and you have to come back when you want. And I've brought this up before um, with the group, but one of the things that I've noticed is just with the, with these swings, those names that that are actually reporting earnings or getting closer to reporting earnings in some cases, if they are stretched, and when I say stretched, I'm talking about the PE, the price versus earnings, and those levels that we've got, there are certain names out there that it's got to be perfect. And last week we were talking about Apple and Amazon, and Apple was not perfect. And so they beat it up pretty good, and they've continued to beat it up pretty good. On the flip side of that, Amazon came out with very strong numbers almost across the board. And because of that, that was a stock that was moving in the other direction. So, you know, it really has been these swings that we are seeing. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, is the valuation getting pretty high? And if so, it better be perfect. And if it's not, they're going to sell it. And that's that's the markets that we're in. And we're seeing this volatility, even today, a great example today of the volatility index itself. We got underneath 15. We were trading, I think, on the lows close to 14.50, I think it was 14.60. But on the highs, we were up in the upper 16s, almost very close to 17. We finished up kind of snapped right, right in the middle of all of that. So volatility is there. We are seeing these swings back and forth all over the place. And that is certainly something that I think people should be you know, cognizant of all throughout the trading day specifically is where is the volatility? Where are we now? And is it is it reflective of what we are seeing? And it certainly was today. You know, it's almost as if central casting queued up the ability for us to talk about the crypto overview when you talk about volatility. Nick, you are my you are my resident um, expert here when it comes to the crypto overview. Would you give us a quick uh, recap of what's been happening in the market there? 
Yeah, thanks so much, Julie. Happy to be filling in for Alex today. Um, so the update for the total crypto market cap is 1.17 trillion. And if you've been listening to us for the past couple of weeks, that is pretty much unchanged. We have not uh, grown or shrunk much during the summer in terms of the total market. Uh, total trading volume is about $27.5 billion, which is notably down from $33 billion on Tuesday. Julie, I know you're here today, but I did let Rob know on Tuesday that you know we were expecting a little bit more volatility throughout the week, and we did have some yesterday, but obviously with trading volumes down $6 billion, uh, certainly implies a lack of volatility, at least uh, for what we're looking at heading into the weekend. So looking at Bitcoin, we're down about one and a half percent since we last spoke on Tuesday and down about half a percent since Wednesday's close, despite CPI coming in below expectations, as I believe Mark had mentioned earlier. Sentiment is currently neutral at about 55 out of 100. Uh, trading volume, like I mentioned earlier, you know, compared to, to the total is uh, Bitcoin trading volume is down six percent compared to the 30 day average, uh, with tweet volume being up about three percent. Looking at Ethereum, uh, it's down about point. Six percent since we spoke since we spoke on last Tuesday, and down about a quarter percent since yesterday's close. So faring a little bit better than Ethereum, or I mean than Bitcoin, I should say. Uh, sentiment's currently bullish at about sixty-two out of one hundred, and this could likely be due to the fact that Ethereum is performing "quote unquote" better than Bitcoin. You know, neither are up since we spoke or, or since yesterday, but obviously Ethereum is down less uh, and down by about half half of uh, or fifty percent of, of Bitcoin. So when traders see that, they get a little bit of excited sometimes because there's some relative strengths. Um, trading volumes for Ethereum, though, are down 27% compared to the 30-day average. Uh, and if volume does not pick up, then traders with all of that positive sentiment could certainly be caught offsides heading into the weekend. So uh, interesting part about ETH, though, is, uh, you know, tweet volume is up 14%, which I believe further examples kind of the positive sentiment for ETH. They're seeing that relative strength. They're tweeting about it. They're talking about it, trying to catch a good trade. Uh, some additional alpha for the crypto market before we head into some other fun stuff in the session is Bitcoin open interest decreased more than 50% on Wednesday. And I mentioned it, uh, it actually loaded up about 400 million just on Binance. I think about a billion overall in the market. So how so that was gone on Wednesday after we swept 30k highs and came back down to mid-range. So that's very notable. Um, and there's been very little open interest change since yesterday which shows a lot of uh, indecision mid-range. So uh, we'll talk about this later, but, uh, you know, definitely weird when when nobody's making bets uh, at these prices. And then, uh, you know, for the, the special alpha that we're seeing on the trade that she desk today, ticker OXT ORCID, sentiment flipped bullish this morning at 6 a.m. and price skyrocketed more than 16% on the day. Trading and tweet volumes as we speak now are up more than 700% compared to their 30-day averages. So traders who caught the OXT uh, ticker on the TTC dashboard today are feeling fantastic. Mm, you bring up a really good word that sounds, uh, you know, music to my ears, bullish. You know, I'd like to get out of the bear market, but we do build during the bear. And since we are here in bulls, bears, and blockchain, we're going to go into the B block, which is TradFi. Make sure you follow each one of our speakers, the co-host, our host here. Tweet out the space. Uh, you'd share this with your friends. We like to share the market news. This morning brought the week's most important print on the economy, July Consumer Price Index. The market seemed to like the print this morning, and it seems like it's good news. But it might be too soon to celebrate the demise of inflation. How do you feel about that, Mark? Well, Julie, that's a great question and a great point. Certainly, that was 
uh, better news than the market was expecting, right? But still going north instead of south. We're still still we're still seeing uh, increase in terms of inflation as reflected by the CPI. But this was the best back to back monthly inflation report since early two thousand and one. And prior to today's report, uh, downticks in core inflation were actually followed by reacceleration. So that's actually a good thing. But it's really important to point out to listeners, it's not going in the direction that we want. It's just still growing at a moderate at a moderate pace. Um, and of course, the CPI report for July, as we said earlier, was certainly propelling some of the market buoyancy today. But there's a lot of question around whether or not it's too soon to celebrate because, frankly speaking, Julie, there's still a lot of reason for investors to be careful, if not cautious, about interpreting this CPI report. And it has a lot to do, and I don't want to, as I tend to do, I don't want to jump the shark and tease some of the stuff that we're going to cover later on in the TradFi block. But at the end of the day, when you wipe out or strip out the food and energy prices and food prices are going to continue to be elevated. Commodity prices are on an absolute, absolute tear, as we're going to cover a little bit later in the show. That's at 4.7%, which is still more than double the Fed's 2% target. Energy prices not giving any, any uh, uh, place to hide as it relates to inflationary pressure. We're going to talk about oil, we're going to talk about natural gas, both on a tear as well. So look, this was good news. This was, this was better news than I think the street was looking for, better news than maybe even the Fed was looking for, but still not getting into the range that makes us comfortable that we've got inflation in check. And I think that's the reason why we had the volatility that we had in the major indices today. But I'd love to hear Pete's, uh, Pete's thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Pete? Yeah, uh, Mark is exactly right. I mean, it's something that I've been watching very closely. And, you know, all you've got to do is go back to the 1st of July and take a look at, at the price of crude there and then just start to look to where it's got, come to now. We actually got up towards 84 today. We actually got to 84 today. We continue to see uh, crude specifically. I know the food prices as well, so I know we lump those together. But I've really been focused on on crude because they really did struggle in the early part of the year. All of a sudden we get to this point where OPEC has made the cuts that they've made and we're starting to see that really play out now. And especially because that second million uh, barrels cut in the July, July 1st, suddenly we've had this huge move. So it shouldn't be surprising. I don't think to any of us, and I'm not saying that it is surprising, but that is something that, that is playing out right before our very eyes. And we've been watching this very closely. I mean, the run from 68 bucks to 84 has been very, very rapid um, as we've gotten now deeper into August, and it seems like it's almost accelerating to some degree. I wanted to just hit one other thing about what Nick was talking about. We were talking about volumes. I'll tell you what's what's absolutely on fire is the derivatives world. It, it is something that I'm, obviously, that's where I am mostly focused, John and I both, but we had 55 million trading on the 4th of August. We had 52 million trading on the, on the 2nd of August. And we're still averaging above the year-to-date average when it comes to the volumes that we are seeing. So what I mean by that is also it's important because I think people really don't always focus. They hear about, well, volumes are light here, whether it's in the stock market itself or somewhere else. But I'll tell you what, the derivatives markets have been on fire all year. Matter of fact, our year-to-date average is a little over 44.5 million per day. And in August, we're already a million per day over that for our average. So 
it continues to be something where we are seeing massive volumes in the derivatives world. And I think that's something that, that obviously I'm excited about. And I think others should be excited about it because there is so many opportunities out there. And, and I'm not shocked because once you've got volatility closer to 16 or below, that's why we are seeing, I think, more and more and more of this because the prices give you that much more opportunity. And we always talk about opportunity, but these trading volumes are absolutely extraordinary. And I'll, I can even give you a, an easy one. A, about 10 years ago, we averaged close to 20 million contracts per day. Five years ago, we were averaging something uh, closer to 30 some odd million per day. And here we are at 40 plus million a day. I mean, it's it really is something that has just been straight up in terms of the volume getting bigger and bigger and bigger in the derivatives markets. And speaking of straight up, I noticed that Mark has his hands straight up. Did you have a comment about that, Mark? <laughs> Listen, I, I have a comment, shocking to everybody, of course, but also a question. I mean, Pete, does that not imply volatility and, and, a, and a lack of consensus in terms of overall market direction? Because I think that's really what we're dealing with, right? I mean, we're getting some fairly positive, again, it's still going in the wrong direction, but not as much as it was as it relates to the CPI and other major inflation prints. We've got this ridiculously inverted yield curve, right, which tends to, not, not just tends, but screams inflationary and recessionary conditions. We've still got buoyancy as it relates to, you know, the, the earnings have come in actually, you know, pretty good overall this, this uh, you know, for Q2. But I think, does that not indicate those volumes? Does that not indicate volatility in a market that's still trying to determine its directionality? I, I would say yes. Um, and I'd also follow up with, um, it, now, it doesn't mean buying or selling necessarily. Um, it's the combination of both. So I'm not saying that these are all bought or all sold. But when I'm looking at it, Mark, and I'm, and I'm seeing what's trading out there, believe it or not, um, they're still mostly on the call side. And when I say that, I'm talking about Tesla, NVIDIA, Apple, Baba, you know, Disney, Amazon, you, you take your pick. You're looking at anywhere between 60 plus percent to 75 percent on the call side. And the majority. So, I was, so bullish, bullish yeah, estimate. Yeah, yeah uh, oddly enough, because it's been something that that's been playing out in the in the bullish move that we've had, even though we've kind of passed the torch to some degree, at least from tech back over to some of the other names or, or other sectors, I should say. So that's, that's, I don't know that that's unhealthy. I think that's actually relatively healthy, but I'd also say that it, it is in some of those big tech names as well. So it's not just that they've completely flipped over and they're only trading materials or only trading financials or only trading something else. There's still a lot of activity, uh, huge amounts of activity that are moving in in a lot of these tech names to us as well. So that's something that I think, you know what, I think there's an excitement of for people that they're getting the opportunities in some of these names that have pulled back and maybe looking more, more maybe on the bullish side for even technology. So if I'm hearing this correctly, are you saying that the bottom line is that the July CPI was a very encouraging inflation report, Mark? I think it was, but I think the market is also learning to price in and consider the other, you know, inflationary pressures, right? And I mean, commodity prices, oil prices, natural gas prices, those are the kinds of things that push in the other direction when it comes to the flight or the fight, I should say, against inflation. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you you had mentioned just a few minutes ago, uh, you foretold here at Market Masters that commodity prices tend to surge at the end of a Fed rate hike cycle. And that type of movement in commodities and food prices seems inflationary and counter to the conditions that support the rate cuts. What's going on here? Yeah, so I'll I'll kick it off and, and make a comment or two, and then I would love to get Market Master Pete Nigerian's thoughts on this. But if you look in terms of market cycles, if you look in terms of cycles of monetary policy, when the market believes that the Fed is at the end of a rate hiking uh, uh, program, which I think we all agree, we maybe have 24 or 25 basis points more still in the offing between now and the end of the year, but then we're going to start to see the Fed cut rates at some point in time. I'm guessing, uh, or prognosticating, I should say, at the end of the first quarter, commodity prices, both as it relates to uh, agricultural prices, oil and gas, and even uh, precious metals, tend to surge, and we're actually seeing that playing out. And And the thing that I actually saw today that was particularly troublesome, Julie, is that rice, the price of rice surged to its hmm. highest level in almost 12 years. Now, of course, there's some um, exogenous factors at play. There's a, a an export ban in India. We have El Nino uh, coming in, which is something that we talked about a couple of months ago on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain about you know what happens at this time of year when weather and extreme weather uh, tends to impact agricultural commodity prices. But we're definitely seeing a significant uptick. And, and you know, John has talked about this. If we're talking about com- uh, uh, coffee or orange juice or wheat, but we are seeing that traditionally uh, consistent surge in commodity prices that tend to happen at the end or when the market believes that the Fed is at the end of a rate hike cycle. And, and, the, and the problem with that is that pushes on the other end of the rope of inflation, right? So the Fed is like, okay, we're, we're, we're done or we're almost done hiking. We're going to start cutting, hopefully, in Q1 of next year. But you've got what happens on the other side, which tends to push very significantly in the other direction. Hmm. We might have just lost Mark. Yeah, no, I had a, I had a call coming in and I uh, promptly rejected it, so my apologies. But that tends to push in the other direction in the fight against inflation. Mm, Pete, so what what do you think's going on here? Well, I, I really do mirror what Mark said, so I don't want to overdo it. But I but I'd also add to that that you know if you look at all the indicators that we all look at, and and there are some through the CMA that CME rather that do an amazing job. But I would say that we are still in the midst of, of looking at at least one more hike, like Mark said, on a quarter point, most likely. Um, they have managed this far better than I think anybody expected. Uh, you know, there was a lot of criticisms, um, but we are getting closer to where we want to be. Now, we still need to get to 2% because that is what they continue to harp on. But we are getting, you know, it seems like to me that we are getting closer and closer. And because of that, they're going to be very. Uh, they're going to be very attentive to the data, like they always say they are. I would also say that those cuts, maybe I, I might be a little bit different than Mark on that. I, I'm looking at the cuts maybe in the middle of 2024. We'll see. Uh, you know, things do change rapidly. We all know that these markets can be wild. They can be crazy, and uh, who knows between now and then? Because we're we're talking about a year away. But it sure seems to me that yeah, to Mark's point, first quarter, sure, I think that could happen. 
I'm leaning a little bit further out before they start making cuts. I don't know that they want to jump in there too quickly, but um, I do think that, that we will see those cuts at least by the by the next the first half of 2024. <laughs> you know, and by Pete, by the way, I don't know that you and I disagree. Right. Um, you know, I've been saying end of Q1, but unless we start to get materially closer to that 2% number, and by the way, folks, this is why those commodity price prints are so relevant, because this is what happens in the market, in a free market, that push against a Fed monetary policy attempt to actually get this in check. So the Fed is actually hopefully getting to the point we got 24 basis points more between now and the end of the year. I am convinced that we do not have a hike in September, by the way. I'm looking at the last 25 in October or November, and then a pause in December. But the Fed could easily wait until the end of the first quarter, if not into the second quarter, before they start cutting. That means we're going to be saddled with high interest rates, certainly comparatively speaking, for quite a while now. And when you've got agricultural commodities and precious metal commodities performing as predicted, right, based on previous market cycles that have played out year after year after year, pushing against the Fed's attempt to rein in inflation. Look, what does this mean, guys? Consumers, at the end of the day, when you have these core commodity prices surging the way they are, that means it still costs you more to fill the refrigerator. It still means it costs you more to feed your family. That's inflationary. That's not disinflationary. So it's really hard for the Fed to time this, get it in check in the appropriate way. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm going to go with Pete on this. I'm going to revise my Fed cut expectation. I think it's going to be in Q2. Mm. Uh, you know, I was reading somewhere, Mark, and if you heard this too, making matters worse in the rice area, it being a vulnerable crop. In Thailand, isn't it the second world's largest exporter of rice and the, the they're now encouraging the, the farmers to plant less of the crop and then to save water as the result of low rainfall? Going back into the conversation we've had so many times about climate, climate change, um, and you know all of our markets and how this has affected investors and our families being able to put food in the, on the table. Now, uh, Julie, that's 100% right. And you know we talked, as I said a moment ago, we talked a bit about the effects of extreme weather, particularly at this time of the year. We're getting into hurricane season. We're getting into extreme weather season. We're in, we are in El Nino season. Sitting here where I am in Florida, we just had a a storm that came uh, through, uh, you know, with the fury of God. Uh, and then, you know, we're, we're back to, uh, we're back to sunny skies, but these are things that impact commodity outputs. And unfortunately the forward looking view when it comes to the output of these critical commodities is that weather El Nino specifically is going to have the highest probability of simultaneous crop loss according to a lot of the studies that we're looking at. So that basically means continued upward pressure, higher prices for core commodities. Mm, mm. You know, I, I recently saw a news article about the fish that had washed up in um, on the shore on the, in the Texas coast uh, due to the rising uh, temperatures of the water and the oxygen levels going down. Speaking about that area of the country, Oil and gas isn't helping matters. So doesn't that also spell bad news for inflation fighting measures from the Fed and more importantly mean further headwinds for the economy? P, you want to cover where we're <laughs> surging oil and gas? I mean, oh, that, I, yes, like, holy cow. 
Yeah, that gas finally did get back up above three, but it just came right back down again. Um, you know, and I think they'll that'll test a couple times. We'd seen a little bit of that with crude oil as well, but I, I am I'm I think that the crude oil I'm not shocked by this at all, and I know that you guys most likely are not either. I mean, with those cuts, they didn't immediately affect people, and and mentally it was not you know priced in until it actually occurred, even though we already knew it was coming. So I do think I find it just fascinating to me that at the end of June, we were at 67. And I, I, you know, that obviously is affecting gas prices. So you're talking about inflation, you're talking about where our money goes. Um, I talked to a lot of people on the West Coast, and I'm sure there are people listening when it, that, that are actually just shocked when they hear me say how, how tough it is here, because in the Midwest or down in Florida, you're going from 310, let's say up to 360, 380, maybe even as high as that. They're in the $5 range already. And with this move that we are seeing um, from crude, we all know how much faster it is for them to raise those prices at the pump in front of us. And that is significant. So when you talk about these food prices, and Mark was talking about that, you add in the crude and you talk about energy prices, um, there are some issues that are still in front of us that are that are not going away. And I don't know that they go away anytime soon. Mark, I mean, besides just here in the United States, European natural gas jumped. Yeah, it it did, um, and the reality of it is, is that you know the the winter, which we're well past, was not as severe in Europe as had perhaps been expected. That is a good thing. That kept that gas prices down, perhaps a little bit more than the market was expecting. But at the end of the day, you know, we're now starting to see the other factors that tend to price in. Uh, the, the the cost of that gas, especially here in the United States. I mean, look, re- uh, Texas had another week of record-breaking electricity demand, of course, Terrible. because of unbelievable heat, right? So that's everybody turning their air conditioners on. Mm-hmm. Some of what's going on overseas has to do with some worker strikes and things of that nature. But, you know, I might be looking, if we expect that bullish trend in that gas and oil continues, particularly in that gas, we might start to look at the BOIL oil. That's the uh, uh, a double or triple leveraged uh, ETF in that gas, which we've traded before. We've shared that with the B3 Nation. But we're definitely seeing some very interesting price movements as it relates to uh, oil and natural gas. And again, when these things go up, it makes everything more expensive for consumers. It tends to be inflationary at a point in time in a monetary cycle where the Fed is starting to look towards uh, cutting rates at the end of the first quarter or perhaps the beginning of the second quarter, as Pete has suggested. Overseas, there's also multiple worker strikes that are set to take place in Australia, and that could impact the supply also. Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, no, 100%. And, and those are those... You know, I don't want to say black swan events, but those are those things that you can't necessarily price into the traditional cycles of how these assets trade. What are those risks of those protracted strikes? What does it mean for European gas? Uh, higher prices, mm. right? I mean, it's 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 a very simple supply-demand analysis, right? If there's less supply, demand remains constant, prices go up. And that, I think that is what has a lot of nat gas traders very concerned. Mm-hmm. Pete, stocks and focus. 
Um, is there anything here that, that tickles your fancy with that, uh, you know, stimulation here talking about, um, is there anything that makes you think about stocks that might be in focus for folks that are listening to the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain show? Well, uh, from the energy perspective, we are finally starting to see a little bit more activity coming into energy names than we did. We had it for actually the better part of maybe call it two years, and then it kind of dried up very much like the the price of crude. But um, so that that's pretty interesting. It's starting to accelerate a little bit, not as much, not even close to as much as we had been seeing, but it had, it had hit a pause for a while, and now we're seeing in the derivatives markets a little bit more and a little bit more on the energy and material space. So we're we are seeing that, in, including some of the alternative energy sources as well. But you know, I I'll just point out a few things that I thought were pretty interesting that we were seeing from last night and today. But a wind resorts, for instance, right? I mean, I I think that one was pretty interesting, and the reason I say that is, you know, we've we've heard all these reports about China and where they are, and the fact that maybe they're a little bit um, not as uh, energetic as people were expecting. They were expecting the numbers to really be outstanding. Well, the one place they were outstanding was in Macau. And and so gambling is, is working pretty well. Uh, it, it always seems to, but it really has picked up again in a big way, when specifically when you're looking over in China. But when you look at the Wind Palace, the Wind Macau, and those things, Vegas was still strong, but Vegas has, has come out of this a little bit faster than China has. And the one thing that really stood out for me, guys, was when I was looking at some of the numbers, the revenue numbers from wind, and you've got a 294% year-over-year rise. Uh, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> it just shows you that there is some strength. They crushed their earnings. The revenue was was definitely better. It wasn't the, as big of a crushing, but it, it was big, and that was a big beat. So where they have come from from a year ago to where they are right now is significant. And I, I really thought that was pretty impressive. Uh, the only other thing that really, I, I think we talked about it a lot, so I don't want to get it and get too much into it because Disney, we've talked about them for the last couple of days, especially with that ESPN deal with Penn. But that's something that I thought was a little bit surprising because we never thought that uh, that would be a part of the Disney you know, to part of things, even though they've got ESPN, this is something that quote unquote, we call the sin stocks, right? I mean, you know, so I thought that was a, an interesting move, but they did beat on their earnings, but there were some misses in there. And I was a little bit surprised actually by the reaction of Disney stock today, not totally flattened by it, but you know, when you, when you're losing subs to Disney plus and that type of thing, that's one thing. The cost cutting is going to be really, really big. But uh, I, I look at that and I just wonder, I don't think Disney's quite out of uh, out of the way of harm's way yet. I think that they still have some issues that they're going to be facing as we get into the second half of the year. I, I actually hope I'm wrong, but I have not made any moves there. But this is a name that everybody was in love with until they weren't. And now that, that stock has made some huge corrections from where it was not too terribly long ago to where it is today. So the fact that it's up a couple of percent today, two or three percent today, um, I'm not holding my breath on that one. I think this is a name that might have to churn for a while before it starts to go to the upside. Uh, Pete, Pete, I totally agree. I think the market was actually being very generous with Disney today. Yeah, Of, co of course, and we've talked about this a lot on the show, traders and investors rewarding companies that implement significant cost-cutting measures in this kind of environment where the cost of capital, particularly debt, is high thanks to interest rates and Fed monetary policy. But I think there's still a lot for Disney to get right before it commands the price it has right now. So I've got to agree with you. I'm not buying at these levels. 
I would even say particularly all you've got to do just if, you, if you're curious on Disney and, and you're saying, well, but, you know, it, it's starting to make a move. I would say, but but where is that move? Year to date, it's basically now unchanged, which it had to rise today to get to that unchanged level. And yet you look at something like a Netflix, um, and I know that's not a perfect comparison by any means, but, I, I you know, streaming, and that's something that everybody had been focused on. When you look at Netflix up, what, something close to, uh, I don't know, uh, 45% or something like that year to date that it's up. And then you look over at Disney and you're saying, well, not a lot of movement there. Um, Disney has struggled. It's definitely struggled. And there is competition out there. We all know that. And they are starting to address a lot of the things that Netflix had already addressed. But Netflix is certainly uh, the, the performance from that name and some of the other streaming names is just been extraordinary. And I realize that Disney's not just a streamer. That's just a fraction of what they do. But it is something that everybody was pointing to as the golden goose for a while. And uh, it has not really moved the needle. Mm. Well, before we jump into the C block, which is crypto and web, I wanted one last little piece of focus here from Mark, because several American natural gas and natural gas liquids or NGL producers and exporters saw a gain on Wednesday. There were a couple of companies here. Would you help me understand the two that came out as leaders? Yeah, no, no doubt, Julie. And I think there's there's an expectation that these two names might continue to have upside potential. We're talking about Chenier Energy and Chesapeake. Uh, Chenier is a significant player in the LNG, liquid natural gas sector. Well, B3 listeners are very well familiar with this name. Very strong presence in Texas. They play a very key role in liquefying and transporting natural gas for global markets. So they're a downstream and a midstream player, as we say in the oil and gas, where we're talking about midstream, downstream, and upstream. Chesapeake, a slightly more diversified portfolio, oil, nat gas, liquid natural gas production, uh, and not just in Texas, the Marcellus uh, Shell uh, Basin, Annisville, and the Eagle Ford Basin. Those are two that we have an eye on that could continue to see some upside pressure as these macro factors that we've been talking about continue to, unfortunately for the Fed, unfortunately for Jay Powell, and unfortunately for the American consumer, tend to put further upside pressure on natural gas. And, you know, it's interesting you talked about, uh, you know, cuts and saving money. It'll be very intriguing to me or certainly fascinating to see how the implementation of blockchain with agriculture and being able to break through some of the barriers or governmental type of red tape. Um, so different farmers can bring their their crops into, you know, other you know nations or certainly here in the United States. So um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how these multiple worlds that we get to talk about, these traditional finance worlds and the definance worlds actually do collide and create an impact for the end user. I'm super excited to find out about that. Um, and, you know, hearing more from our market masters, we'd love to remind everyone you're listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday at 530. If you have any questions, you had a comment or a topic you'd like our market masters to research and or have a conversation here on the show, make sure you direct message, follow your host, co-hosts, your speakers, go around the room. If you see a 
friendly face. And I see a few down there in the audience right now. And you know who you are because I sent you a direct message. Great to see you here on the show. And, uh, you know, you're always welcome to leave us a message. So let's jump into the B block. Hold on one second. Somebody has their hand raised. Wait a minute. Oh, you're doing a clap because you know who you are. I've raised my, you guys have raised your hand. I've sent some direct messages to you guys. So do our loyal B3 listeners, if you'll recall the debate that we had when Ripple was handed that rare win in its epic battle with the SEC in the federal court recently. So with the market master mark cautioning the crypto community about the limited value of the ruling and the strong likelihood of the SEC would appeal that, um, you know, let's see what came through today. Mark, how do you feel about this? You still feeling the same way? Well, Julie, this is one of those examples where I would prefer not to be right. But when that ruling came down, Apple's favor, right? And that's a really sound case. Everybody in crypto is watching this one really carefully, as they should. That ruling from the judge in the Southern District saying, you know what? Not everything is a security. Maybe giving a cover, not only for Ripple, but for other crypto and token issuers to maybe get around that 70-year-old Howie test, which is ancient and absurd, and I said, look, I don't want to, you know, be uh, pouring cold water on everybody's excitement around this. It was definitely a win for crypto. However, you know, pulling out my 20 years as a securities lawyer, I said, look, I don't think this is going to have the kind of value as solid authority. I don't think it's going to provide cover not only for other crypto issuers, but not but for Ripple itself. And I expected... And Nick Mancini, who I hope is still here on stage, it looks like he is, because I really want to hear his thoughts on this, um, said, well, you know, I don't know if, if the SEC is going to appeal this ruling. Gary Gensler's had a couple of shots to the face, definitely deserve it over, over time. But I felt strongly that if for no other reason than to save face, then Gary Gensler and the SEC was going to appeal that ruling. And today, unfortunately, Again, that's something I don't want to be right about. I'm a Dean Jen. I'm a crypto guy. I'm a DeFi guy. Don't want to be right about this and don't want to be uh, reporting on additional downward pressure on crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and its progeny. But I think, Nick, on this one, I think I was right. Gary G and the SEC appealed that ruling. Oh, you're 100% right. And I remember the conversation well. We were we were very curious at the time as to, you know, what the judge wrote as the deadline for appeal, that there was no appeal. And then after that, we ended up finding out that the ruling was thrown out in, in a different um, court proceeding and was not able to be used as precedent. And now the SEC is officially appealing it. So if I had to, you know, put my tinfoil hat on for a second, I, I have a feeling, Gary, this is all part of his plan. You know, it's already been thrown out. Then they appeal. They'll use that in the appeal. Um, and they'll probably end up getting their way and sending us all back to square one. So uh, the, 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 the odd thing, I think, about this whole story is, is that it wasn't extremely bearish at at the time I watched a lot of, uh, you know, L1s and L2s, you know, the, you know, w w what Ripple is, you know, a competing with and running on, um, you know, very similar cryptocurrencies in, in launch and, and operational structure uh, did not take too big of a hit. And we've kind of been flatlined since that news, uh, which I found interesting. And of course, we have the ETF news or which which should be some news tomorrow. So, um, you know, it's it's an interesting time for crypto because I certainly was loading up shorts on that news. And of course, they didn't work out the way I wanted them to. Um, but, you know, this is obviously a signal that Gary's not done. Um, anything that's not big, I know I, a lot of the media will say anything that's not Bitcoin or ETH, but I haven't really seen Gary be too big of a fan of anything Ethereum related. So, um, you know, it, it is important to watch out that 
more news like this, more headlines like this, more serious headlines, maybe if it does, you know, get get fully repealed or pulled back, um, you know, that would definitely be a big short indicator in my book. But but Nick, I, I think and I'm not going to say that it's because I made the you know suggestions or predictions that I did three or four weeks ago. But I think the smart money realized that that ruling, that Ripple ruling handed in their favor while fantastic, while a much needed and rare win for the crypto industry. While it was terrific, it was of limited value as precedent, right? As we saw in, oh God, I'm forgetting, you'll remind me because we covered it on the show about a week ago um, in another enforcement case where the judge also in the Southern District said, no, that Ripple ruling does not suffice. Yep. As I, I forget exactly what the case that was, was, but that was, was last week. Yes. That was, was Terralabs. My, my uh, memory snapped back into action when, when needed. Um, so I, I, don't, I, don't th- I think that the market reaction as it relates to the price of Bitcoin and ETH is that this was kind of like a non-event because I think people sort of started to realize when the excitement died down over, again, a ruling that was rare, that was significant and terrific for the industry, but it was going to be of limited value. And Gary Gensler was not, was not, certainly after going to Congress for another $110 million plus appropriation bill, specifically for enforcement in crypto and blockchain, that he was not going to pass up this opportunity to appeal that ruling. And I 100% agree with you, Mark. And if we look at the charts, you know, that that Terraform Labs uh, ruling in which they basically threw the, the Ripple precedent out um, was about last week. And, and we obviously saw, you know, a pretty, a pretty solid drop before recovering, you know, early this week. Um, so I definitely think, you know, in, in just building context in terms of trading news events, you know, when that, you know, d- denial of the of the ruling in the Terraform Labs case happened, I think that was more or less the bearish event. And then obviously, I think everybody, you know, if you're a trader and you're trading on, you know, what may happen in a week or two based around all of this news, you're probably shorting immediately because that's, you know, more fodder in Gary's canon. And then, of course, he comes out with it today. So I think that news event is is a, is a bit over. But let's say it does fully get overturned and Gary then, st- you know, takes another step forward and, and brings another attack. You know, that that's an that's an entirely, you know, new bearish event or bearish news event for the chart. So I think we need to we need to keep paying close attention to this. I don't think this is over. I think we're going to see more attacks from Gary, especially as it involves Ripple, especially Coinbase and others. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it is very tough to be a bull right now. But of course, you know, we, we're getting a little bit of volatility. And obviously, these news events aren't pressing us below uh, the 29k level, which, you know, is still very significant moving forward. But 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 let me give the other side, maybe the positive side to that coin, right? So if Gensler and the SEC are successful in that in appealing that ruling. And I and I don't have a call. I think if if I was asked right now to say, you know, whether it was 50-50 or skewed in favor of the SEC or in favor of Ripple, I think right now it's anybody's guess because the judge it's in front of is clearly willing to consider both sides of the argument and is clearly willing to consider the fact and, and and as a huge breath of fresh air for the industry, that perhaps the existing regulatory construct does not really suit where the crypto industry is. I think that's good. But even if Gensler and the SEC were to win on appeal and overturn that Ripple ruling, I don't see that as being a major bull case for crypto. Why? 
Because if you listen to what I said about that ruling on the positive side four weeks ago, that it was of limited value, how much does it really matter if Gary wins that appeal and it's confirmed that it was of limited value to begin with? It's kind of a nothing burger. No, it's, it, I agree with you. It's at that at that point we're back to square one, and we're kind of right we're right where we started again. You know, so I very much agree with you. I don't think you know it, I I don't think anything from this ripple ruling is going to really turn the charts one way or the other. Maybe you get a little bit of volatility on the one hours, um, but a hundred percent agree with you. If it is overturned. Um, you know, I, I really don't think it's a massive bearish or bullish event. Again, you know, even the news we got last week didn't really push us lower. The positive news didn't really, you know, send us that much higher. We pretty much we came all the way back from those gains right. that were rolling a couple of weeks ago. Right. So um, it's going to take it's going to take either an act of Congress or a judge specifically saying the Howie test makes absolutely no sense. Throw it out and start over. I think, you know, those are the really the only things that are going to get people going uh, around these types of uh, news events. An act of Congress or an act of God, both of which I would not hold my breath for in the near term. So I think that's a really good indication of where we think the market's going to continue to trend. It's been range bound, Nick, right? I mean, yep. you expect it to continue in this range? hundred percent. I mean, we just talked about range trading on Tuesday and I mean, it's been, it's been your best friend, run the highs, run the lows back to mid range, do it all over again the next week. Um, so I don't really see that happening too much. I, I mean, I do think it's plausible in the summer, especially if equities, um, do not have a good couple of weeks that crypto continues to seep lower, but we're not seeing any major, you know, $1,000, $2,000, drops in Bitcoin in the, in the near future. Every dip keeps getting eaten and every rise keeps getting pushed back. So, um, you know, until, until we do get... Uh, above the current range that we've been trading in, um, you know, we are just going to be stuck in this level to level trading environment, which which could be worse. You know, if you are a trader, this is fun. Uh, but if you're an investor, you're certainly, you know, lobbying your congressman right now uh, to, to do something about this. So, well, you know, you, you brought something up, Nick, earlier in the hour here on Bulls, Bears and Blockchain about really the cryptocurrency world wasn't very volatile. We were kind of in a just kind of in a holding pattern of pricing. The next spot for Bitcoin, the ETF deadline is August 13th, those ARC 21 shares Bitcoin ETF. But the 13th is Sunday, which means there's likely going to be approval, denial or delay news on Friday, August 11th. Doesn't this mean that the traders should expect some volatility when the news comes? Yes, 100 percent. And I think, you know, and Mark will probably agree with me on this. I'm expecting a delay. I don't think Gary's going to make any decision one way or the other tomorrow. Um, and I think if he does make a decision, it's going to likely be, you know, BlackRock, which I believe is coming up in uh, the first or second week of September. Um, so tomorrow is ARC. Uh, and although ARC was the darling of the tech world at one point in time, and people still have a lot of respect for Kathy, I don't really think this is going to move the needle. So, um, you know, what we are expecting, and then I'd love to kind of hear Mark's opinion, because he's dealt with all the legalese paperwork and announcements around these things, is I think it would come likely after the U.S. session is over, so somewhere around 4 or 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I'm expecting a delay, uh, which will push it back to the next deadline, and I need to pull that chart right up in front of me. The next deadline for the ARC ETF will be 11-11, the, the, the magical special date for that. And then the the um, the, the BlackRock 
tr um, uh, ETFs is that the first deadline is on September 2nd. So I think tomorrow is going to be a nothing burger. I think you will definitely see a spike up and down in Bitcoin's price as traders adjust to the news. But I think it's going to be a, a bit of a boring weekend after that happens. Um, and we're just going to be stuck trading the range uh, exactly as we've been discussing the past couple of weeks. Yeah, and, I, and and Nick, I totally agree with that. And I would expect that any time that there's an extension possibility, you can bet your bottom dollar that it's going to get extended. Mm, well, you guys talk about extension. We only have a few more minutes left here on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain. It gives everyone enough time to go around the room, follow our market masters here, certainly follow Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain, Get Rev Radio. Any of your listeners that are down there, some of them might be your friends or maybe you want them to be new friends of yours. Follow them and you can always reach us here every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday at 5.30 for Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain, where you get the most updated news on traditional finance, DeFi, Web3, crypto. And I know we have a few minutes left. I'd like to go around the room uh, with Nick and Mark. Do you have any final words going into the week? Weekend. I'll go with you, Nick. Your mic was hot first. Sure. Um, you know, the big thing, I'm, I, you know, I kind of mentioned it before. I'm not expecting too busy of a weekend in crypto trading, but obviously with the ETF news tomorrow, um, that does present a pretty good trading opportunity. Um, my bias is still short due to DXY, uh, you know, the dollar index showing strength and equities looking a little bit weak, hanging around support. Um, so, you know, if I had to guess, Bitcoin likely creeps up into tomorrow's U.S. session. Um, and then I would assume uh, based on the lack of open interest, lack of volatility, and of course, heading into a weekend uh, that we will end up uh, probably even or down on the day tomorrow. Um, and, you know, weekends have been quite boring, so I'm not even going to touch on that. We'll, we'll talk Tuesday about what the charts look like, but uh, wouldn't expect too much craziness if you are trading crypto this weekend, and, and neither are we. So, Mark, other than slathering on the SPF in between the rain showers and the sunshine that's coming through, what do you see as the end of the week going into the weekend for the market? Well, listen, Julie, I think the market is going to continue to trade tomorrow somewhat schizophrenically as we continue to ingest this CPI, which was decent news, not as good as perhaps we thought it was when we first got the print this morning. We're coming around, you know, uh, a third base here at the end of Q2 earnings season, which has surprised most, myself included, as being perhaps better than expected. But that forward-looking guidance, we talk about how important that is all the time. It's not just about the commentary on the quarter that was. It's on what is expected on a go-forward basis. And I think we're going to continue to see pressure from what has got to be continued destruction of consumer demand, particularly as it relates to discretionary names. We had another major credit card debt print yesterday, confirmation, further confirmation. I said we were over a trillion dollars going back to April, and, I, and the data that we looked at, in my humble opinion, said that we were well over a trillion dollars in consumer credit, credit card debt specifically. That looming deadline where those student loans are not going to be forgiven and need to start coming due, also putting further pressure on the consumer. That's the kind of thing that I'm going to be looking at, as well as continued, continued eagle eye watching the bond market, right? That yield curve inversion, activity in the 10-year, continued volatility. I think we've got volatility here to stay for at least between now and the end of the third quarter. 
Mm, thank you so much to my market masters, Mark Lepresti, Pete Nigerian. Thank you so much, Nick, from Trade the Chain, Get Rev Radio. You have just listened to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain, episode number 52. I'd like to consider that a wrap. We'll see you on Sunday. Thanks for joining Rob Nelson, Alex Massioli, Mark Lepresti, and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io, helping you make smarter financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.